And we are live with our 213th episode of Absolute Absec. I'm Ken Johnson at CK Tricky on Twitter, joined by my co-host, Seth Law, at Seth Law on Twitter. Seth, say hi. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode. We are excited to be here today. We're excited to have Brian Joe from Impart Security here. Um, we'll get into his background and story and everything here. Um, in a few minutes, uh, as far as announcements go, uh, our um, course for DEF CON is filling up. So if you're interested in practical secure code review, um, now is the time to sign up. There's only a couple seats left and it's a couple weeks out. There are going to be some more opportunities uh, to sign up or trainings this year, including uh, DEF CON trainings in Seattle. Uh, late October, early November. Um, and we are looking at a couple other um, open sessions that we would like to perform. Uh, so if you have interest in any of those, please sign up. But we would love to see you in DEF CON. It's a great place to actually get the training. It was really great last year. Um, and we're excited to give it again this year with some updates. Um, Outside of that, I did want to thank our sponsor, Redpoint Security, for sponsoring this episode. Redpoint specializes in code security for coders, bolstered by years of experience testing web and mobile applications, conducting secure code reviews against all types of applications. It also offers trainings to help ground your teams in better security practices across the development lifecycle. So check them out at redpointsecurity.com for more information and put your company on a path to better security. Um, yeah, great. I think that's everything, Ken. Is there anything that I'm missing as far as visits or uh, just regular announcements? Um, sometimes I drop things off my list. I would just probably just add, uh, just as a reiterate, you know, Redpoint and Dry Run are both uh, sponsor, co-sponsoring a uh, happy oh, yes. hour at DEF CON uh, on August 10th. So, uh, or Black DEF CON, Black Hat, whatever. Um, Anyways, if you'd like to attend, DM either one of us on either, you know, our Slack or Twitter, whatever works for you, or send uh, us an email to, uh, I guess, info at Redpoint Security, or excuse me, info at AppSec.com. I was thinking about your email address, Seth. That's why I said that. <laughs> Anyways, info at AppsecAppSec.com is, com, is the yes. correct email address. <laughs> In any case, yeah, that's all I wanted to add is that we've got a, yeah. a nice little happy hour with food and drinks uh, if you want to show up. Yep, yep. I, I knew I, had, I was forgetting something, you know, uh, has a tendency to happen. So cool. Well, with that, we do want to introduce Brian Joe from Impart Security. And uh, Brian, we met actually on the la at the last happy hour, correct? That's right. Um, yeah, That's right. That at was, uh, RSA. Yeah, at RSA. Um, and we had a really good discussion about... Um, his startup and impart security. Hence the reason that, you know, we, you know, we, we had the, the thought to bring you on the podcast and also have that same discussion. So um, to get into it though, right. Like um, maybe we start with your background, Brian, um, you know, you're, you know, you're helping run impart now, but how did you get there? Right. Like what was your pathway into the security space? Where did you start? Yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's a great question. And, and before I start, I just want to say thanks for having me on. It's really exciting to be here. Um, I was also going to suggest that instead of introducing your Twitter handles, you might want to introduce your X handles now. Oh, yeah, that's true. At this point, it's so drilled into our brain that I don't know if we're ever going to be able to switch. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to do GitHub handles instead, Ken. That's what we'll go to. Did you guys see the... Uh... The troll on Twitter where uh, they posted, I forget who it was, they posted something like, uh, yeah, after two and a half weeks at the company, I, you know, I created that design, that logo, and I was I was let go. And then like a, like a Nobel Prize or, uh, uh, I don't know, somebody who's, or, or they won some massive, I forget who it was, uh, they won some, some journalists who won some massive awards, like started retweeting and taking it seriously. I don't know if you guys saw that. <laughs> <laughs> Her fuffle on Twitter is pretty funny. You know, I, funny. Well, what isn't the latest that like the name X is actually like trademarked and you know up the wazoo by every other tech company under the sun <laughs> between Microsoft and right like even Facebook or Meta actually owns X in the context of social media. So it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. 
But yeah, mm. yeah. <laughs> okay, well, so find CK <laughs> Tricky on X.com. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, cool. So how did I get into security? My background's actually pretty different, I think, from most folks in security. I I had zero plans to be doing security, uh, much less application security. Uh, when, when I started my career, I was actually a network engineer. I started my career at Verizon and was kind of backed into security. My primary job was building networks for enterprises. So connecting their branch offices, like a cell phone store to a data center. So I spent a lot of time designing effectively private networks for folks. And those at the time, those networks were physically separated networks. Um, so dedicated for everybody. But over time, what we saw is just the shift from, it just became really expensive to build everybody their own physical network because you have to dig trenches and run fiber and all of this stuff. And so what eventually happened is everyone just started using the internet for, for, for things to transport data to one another. And effectively the rise of like virtual networks and VPNs and that kind of thing sort of became my focus. And that just sort of led me to like work a little bit higher up the stack from the physical layer to more of like the, like if you think of the OSI model, more of like the networking layer and the VPN layer. And then that exposure just, I worked a lot uh, with financial services, with media companies. Just imagine the folks who have the, most expensive networks and are paying the most, they want to move a lot of data or they have really highly valuable data. And that was sort of my first exposure to security. And then Verizon uh, acquired a CDN company called Edgecast Networks, which was more operating purely in the application layer. So uh, we would do like video streaming services. We would do like advertising. Um, We would make websites faster. And so that was really where I actually started to focus a bit more on application security, looking at technologies like web application firewall, bot management, DDoS protection. And that is where I essentially just cut my teeth, just learning all about request response, networking, application security, more of the runtime protection side. And at the time, I remember thinking to myself, man, security... I actually didn't really like it that much because I just felt like it was such a bad experience for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> like getting started, especially, you know, in that world of like web application firewall and DDoS, just the experience of getting started was really painful. Uh, we would have to help customers get onboarded. We had this huge team of professional services folks, just like getting people set up. And then after they were set up, uh, we would actually have to, like to operate things on a daily basis, it involved a lot of things like tuning rules and updating signatures. And that was a really bad experience because it's just like this constant cycle of manual work. Um, and then even from a, like a business standpoint, it, I always kind of felt like, well, how, how are you going to ever turn this into a huge business? Because there's so many people just doing things for folks that like the, the ability to scale just didn't seem really there. So that was actually my first introduction to application security where we we needed to have these types of security services for folks um, because they wanted to know that their data was secure. But at the same time, I just felt like we were under, um, not we in, in like at Verizon, but just in general, the industry was sort of providing a subpar user experience. So that was my introduction to security and AppSec. Yeah. And then I actually learned about signal sciences a few years into that. And signal sciences was so exciting to me because it, it just felt like it turned me from looking at application security as just like something that we had to do (laughs) to get people to like use our other services into something that was, Oh, really, really interesting because we actually, you know, at signal sciences, I saw how, and I, I joined the signal sciences team uh, to lead the, the product management um, team. And what I learned and saw from all of the customers and, and the uh, prospects that we worked with was just, we learned how to solve those problems and deliver a good experience. So things like getting started, we were able to get people started in just a couple minutes without having to have this huge onboarding process. 
uh, we were able to get customers up and running and just working on an ongoing basis and operating without having to constantly go back to the well of professional services and sort of tuning and that whole cycle. Um, and from a business standpoint, it, it was just so exciting to me to see uh, how, how much we could grow with such a small team. Signal Sciences, I think at its peak was maybe 150 people. Um, and we were just, you know, going toe to toe with all these huge companies and it was really, really exciting. Um, so yeah, so that was my introduction to application security, uh, really kind of actually starting out with a, a bit of a bad, bad taste, but then starting to, to believe and actually become really excited about essentially the value of delivering uh, good experience to security professionals. Yeah. I, I co-founder I mean, I, James. Oh, sorry. Oh, go yeah. ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I, no, I was just going to say, but my co-founder James is that, you know, you guys know Sig signal sciences. And I, he said that the one thing, uh, just to your point there, the one thing that really was successful for them was the uh, ease of installation and getting up and running. And I know you were mentioning that's like a huge, and I, honestly, any viewer watching will have their own stories of like the pain points of trying to get a security tool running. But yeah, no, he, he talked about that. That was a major success for signal science was just like the ability to get it running pretty quickly, smoothly um, without too much uh, friction. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's one of the lessons that I saw coming from a, you know, tele telecom networking background. If you really just unpeel like how those types of companies make their money, it's primarily like networking. Like just imagine your, your Verizon wireless bill, right? Like you're paying basically for your monthly service. And if you pay attention, they'll try to upsell you like security services for your personal phone or your, your home or something like that. And maybe that's like five, 10% of what your monthly bill is. And, and so that's kind of what hap what happens is those types of companies just, they look at security as a nice way to make a little extra money, but they don't really look at it like it's something that's super critical or super important or super strategic. Um, and so the, the strategy ends up being like, let's do like, let's optimize for efficiency. Like let's, let's not like overinvest in building high quality security products or experiences. Let's just check some boxes and mm -hmm. see if we can get people to pay for it. And this is a bit of a generalization. Um, I you know, was, was very happy at Verizon and, and Edgecast. But like, I think just in general, when the bulk of your revenue and money comes from something that's not security and you're trying to bolt security on top of that, it, that's what leads to uh, sort of subpar user experiences. And so when I think the reason that Signal Sciences was really successful is when we looked at some of the competitors, a lot of the competitors are basically captive to other businesses. Like there's the whole kind of uh, content delivery network, CDN industry, primarily making money through moving bits around, right? Um, there's people selling like gateways, right? And, or, or appliances. And essentially that most of the money is coming from like either like the physical appliance itself, or maybe just like the routing and load balancing kind of stuff. Um, so it just felt like security was primarily like an afterthought in many of those things. And also yeah. forced, it also forced customers to choose. Like if you want the security service, you need to buy our CDN or you need to buy our API gateway, or you need to buy our cell phone service, you know, in that, in that example. So it yeah. just was really refreshing to kind of give customers choice and just to recognize, Hey, not everybody wants to use Verizon Wireless or AT&T or T-Mobile or, you know, name your name your technology of choice um, just to get security. Sometimes they just have what they have and they want security to protect what they have. So, yep. That reminds me of yeah. F5 where it, it was primarily a load balancer at the time, but like it, it started modular creating modules and one of them was like a security one and people complained <laughs> infinitely about it. They did, they hated it. They had just like real issues with it in the beginning. Now, obviously F5 still, anyway. <laughs> yeah. No, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting use case, right? Like I, cause I, I kind of go back, Brian, to your early experience with the like Edgecast um, and Verizon and how you like, how I, 
we often as kind of developers or AppSec side of things, we have a tendency to kind of ignore the lower layers of the OSI model, even though from a performance and from even a security perspective, they are, they're, they're, they're ultra critical to the experience that users have with security in general, right? Like um, AppSec, in, you know, is a, is a small silo of the overall picture, um, so we can't take that out of account, right? Like I, but that's where things like signal sciences, to your point, um, make for a better experience. Uh, and then I also think about uh, like Leaf when he was, um, Leaf Dressler, who's been on a, a couple of times with us. Um, and I think Leaf and both Jerry Gamlin, right? Like their their whole thing with security vendors and security SaaS provider, providers in general is like, give me an option to actually sign up quickly and try things out. This yeah. uh, this long cycle of I have to go through a you know a proposal process or whatever just to get like a demo um, is yeah. just not tenable for most startups right or more most businesses in general. Um, so that's where I, I mean that's where single sciences and even most startups nowadays seem to be headed. But you still run into the odd one where it's like oh you have to sign an NDA and you have to do X Y and Z first and you have to talk to a salesperson before we can do anything with you right. Yeah. 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 But I don't, like, yeah, whatever. Not I, yeah, not <laughs> if you can't give, I, the main, the main punchline that I get from them every time is if you can't like use a credit card and go through a flow and get access like you would with any of these other. And I mean, man, I've had to like experiment with a bunch of different services lately for like SaaS offerings and all yeah. of them have the same flow, right? Like it's, you put in a credit card, you choose your tier, you get going. That has never been the case. Well, I don't want to say that. I shouldn't say that. That hasn't been the case in any of the security products I've used. That's what I'll say. Yeah. 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 Right. yeah. With, isn't that, would you say that's because security is sort of by nature because a lot of products, when you look at them, they're like usage based. Like those types of products are usage based, right? Like the more you use it, the the more like value you get, and the more essentially like you're willing to pay for it. Like security is a funny thing where, like, is it a good thing if you have to use a security tool constantly? Like it might be, but it might might also not be, <laughs> right? If it's something that requires like constant care and feeding, that kind of means like is this really, you know, providing me with the protection that I'm hoping to get? So it's, it's, it's kind of a funny thing. Uh, Cause we, we wrestle with, you know, similar to, uh, you know, I think like you're like yourself can um, just kind of like, how do you, how do you let people access the, the product and get it in their hands as quickly as possible? And, and, and like yourself, we've kind of opted more towards like, let's let people like get their hands on it, touch and feel it and just experience it for themselves. But it's also one of those things where it's like, as a defensive tool, like ideally it's kind of a set and forget experience, right? So how do you kind of like give people what they want, which is like a set and forget experience, but at the same time, make sure that they're actually like seeing and, and touching everything and like getting all the value that they can. It's a funny it's a funny thing. But that, I, I mean, it kind of goes back to the consumer or whoever it is that's actually purchasing those products, right? Like the reason yeah. that Verizon and all of the, you know, cell phone providers or network providers bolt security on is because that's what people want. They want to pay an extra five bucks a month and know that they've got their checkbox that they're secure, right? Yeah. And that, that they're, it, it's, it's not necessarily a, I don't want to be as secure as possible. It's I want to be compliant and I want to offload the risk and the effort of being secure to someone else, right? So I'm already signed up with Verizon. I'm going to choose their products and implement them or I'm using AWS. So I'm going to put, you know, I'm going to turn on the WAF there and I, you know, I meet my regulations. And then if there's a problem, I can point at Amazon or I can point at Verizon and say, hey, uh, well, it's not my fault, right? Like I was doing what I was told to do that the vendor told me I'd be secure if I did X, Y, and Z. Even though yeah. that's not really the case, it's it's this, this weird understanding or misunderstanding that people have of, about what security actually is, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And yeah, I, I mean, it's compliance versus security to, you know, um, I don't even know how to <laughs> say that name, right? 
I know he's yeah. in our Slack though too, right? I, I can't even remember, but yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, security by compliance is not necessarily security, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 So, but, yeah. but it's a big driver for us, right? Like, I mean, that's what gets their products in the door a lot of times. Um, and yeah. then, and then that maybe that's next, right? Like that's probably where we should go. Brian is okay. Like this brought you to like through signal sciences, yeah. you came up with a network background, you saw application security, you saw something that you liked. So what, what was it? That, what was the impetus for impart security and the API security stuff that you're doing? Yeah. So it was a bit funny. Um, so as you all probably know, Signal Sciences got acquired by Fastly, which is a CDN company. Mm-hmm. So I had, for me personally, it was interesting because I had left a CDN company to go to Next Gen WAF, and then kind of like rediscovered the experience of like AppSec, um, and then was acquired by the CDN company. Um, Back to so, the CDN world. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, Edgecast and Fastly were very different companies, but. It just at a, at a macro level, it was it was it was kind of funny. I remember sitting through some of the onboarding training for new for new hires, and you know that training is designed for people with no CDN experience. So they're explaining yeah. concepts like this is a data center, or a point of presence, and here's what you know. And I just I just remember thinking like, oh, I know all of this stuff. Like I, it's it's very similar to you know the last CDN I worked at. So that, that was kind of a funny moment. Um, I felt right at yeah, home. Yeah, the complete circle would have been if like Verizon or AT and some big telecom had acquired Fastly, then then I would have like made a total circle. Yeah. Um, but you know, kind of a, a semi-circle, I guess, is what happened. But yeah, so after the acquisition, um, so APIs are obviously part of the web, um, and they have been for a long time. And API security has been, you know, around I think a lot longer than people realize. I think in the past few years it's been getting a lot more uh, momentum and buzz simply because the number of APIs has really grown, but APIs have been around for 20 years. And so when we were at Signal Sciences, we would constantly hear about <clears throat> like APIs, API security. And at the time we just felt like that's, that's an exciting ex- opportunity, but we were so focused on building the best, uh, next gen WAF that we could that it's just an opportunity we never really took seriously um, and really you know made the efforts to but it was always an area that was really interesting to myself and, and my co-founders um, and then I think the other thing that we noticed so that that sort of we we know API security was on the radar we there was getting a lot of buzz uh, we were kind of wrapping up our integration uh, of signal sciences into Fastly and just a few things, there were just a few technology changes that I think were concurrently happening at the time that were even different from when Signal Sciences was started. And I think the, the two big ones that really stood out was just the maturation of like containerization and Kubernetes, right? And sort of like every big cloud provider was essentially building their own managed Kubernetes service. And all of that know-how was really being abstracted, kind of like physical networking, um, so that people don't really have to worry about it anymore. And it also made it really easy to like apply new services into like the edge of the containers or the edge of the clusters in, in a similar way. Like I think maybe 10 years ago, like the best place to insert a new service is probably the edge of the network, the network, like a CDN location, right? You just pop something in next to where the, where the closest web server is. But with Kubernetes, we just felt like, oh, there's this new kind of like in-cloud edge that's emerging. And that's actually like so easy to use with all of the tooling that's being developed with things like Helm charts, right? And things like that. So um, that was sort of one sort of architectural change that we saw that was just like, hey, we think this is going to cause essentially the way that APIs are produced and consumed and delivered to really change. And then the other was just the maturation of like what's going on in CICD. So like, I think infrastructure as code has always been, I mean, it's not always been a thing, but it's kind of like been a thing for a little bit of time. But what we noticed is like, everything was becoming as code. We saw it at Signal Sciences, like security policies as code. Um, people like would be including their rule sets in, in Terraform, right? And kind of treating them with 
just like any other piece of code with change control and diffs and pull requests and that, that kind of thing. Product as code. Um, so just we just saw all sorts of stuff moving into the pipeline. And we thought, oh, well, that's interesting because now there's this whole set of context available really easily about what's going on in a business, right? You can basically see everything a developer is doing, everything the ops team is, is running, right? Sometimes all the policies a security team is, is defining. You can see all of that in CICD. And that's just context that I think historically has been really challenging to pull out, right? And it was, it was built on a lot of manual process. So we just felt like, okay, well, with these two changes in technology, and as well as like the overall lessons that we learned at Signal Sciences, which is if you pr provide a really good experience around new technologies, right? And, and that can actually be a winning strategy. So we just saw a great opportunity to really tackle API security because um, we just felt that we could take all of that context that we had around like what was going on in the pipeline, as well as combining that with some of the like newer technologies making like security layers and things that we were really good at, like networking and enforcement, like much more easy to, to deploy in different places and create a new, essentially new company around that. So myself, uh, my co-founders, Mark Harrison and Jonathan DiVincenzo, we were all at, at Signal Sciences um, and we all uh, left and started Impart Security. And that was about a year and a half ago. It's been quite a ride so far. Um, we're really excited at, at what we've built so far and the, the traction we've seen with some of our early customers. And right now we're in uh, building mode and it's been one of the most fun things I've ever done. Well, and actually I have a question on that too, like uh, mainly for, for everyone to sort of, you know, have some, you mentioned context to have some context around, you know, <laughs> what does a head of product sort of do? Like what is the, the responsibilities of that role? Yeah. Um, and yeah, more about that specifically before we go uh, a little bit farther. Yeah, I, I should get a bit more into my, my background. So my background, I, I started my career as a network engineer, as I mentioned, uh, and then I eventually transitioned into a product management function. Um, so I did kind of the engineer going to business school, turning into a product manager path, um, which is, I think, pretty typical. I've actually met another person named Brian Joe who has the exact, who did the exact same thing and has like kind of a similar job. So, um, that's not confusing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, that, um, but so that's my background and product management for those who don't know in general is uh, the primary job of that is to define a roadmap of like, where's the product going? So effectively you're setting a vision of what your product will be and you're working with, your engineering teams on the one hand to build towards that vision. Uh, and you're working with the sales team on the other hand, or the marketing or essentially customer facing teams to sort of gather all of the signal that you're getting from what customers are doing and trying to come up with the optimal outcome for yourself and for your customers. So that's a traditional role of product managers. Uh, as a head of product at Impart, that is very similar to what I do. Um, so I work very closely with our CTO, Mark Harrison, um, and we've, you know, all three, I mean, it's a small company. So uh, JD, uh, Mark and I, we all work really closely on defining what is that vision that we want to build towards. And we have a pretty clear idea that I've alluded to, which is this idea of putting together all of this context and really rich context and building an enforcement layer around it um, that will provide really high quality security. Um, and so we, essentially define that vision and like build towards it. Uh, more recently, um, you know, we don't have a sales team. We don't have, uh, actually, we, I, I take that back. We hired, we hired one salesperson recently, but uh, up until then, it's been primarily <clears throat> uh, myself talking to customers, JD talking to customers. So we're just trying to gather as much information as possible and context and have conversations with CISOs, um, directors of security, InfoSec professionals, just really understand what are they struggling with, with API security? What do they like about what they're using right now and existing solutions? What do they not like? And really just trying to gather as much information there that kind of inform that vision. <clears throat> so uh, as, as a head of product at a startup, that's effectively what I'm doing now. Just trying to shepherd our, our, our company and the things that's that we're the, building towards things that customers It's the want. most 
critical bit too. You know, it's like uh, you you get you go into this thing thinking you know you you uh, have an idea of what people need, and you know for sure you do because you obviously you wouldn't start a company. But how to get it, how to deliver it, what things they care about where to put your engineering efforts. Those are like much bigger questions. Cause it's like, you know, you've got limited, like you said, small company, um, limited amount of resources. You need to maximize where you put your efforts in all things. It doesn't matter just engineering. It matters like a lot of things. Like what's the design look like? How's your, how's your customer relations? Like all these things. Right. And then, yeah. uh, so then, yeah, you, you just, like I said, you go into this with this idea and then you have to refine that idea based off of what people tell you or, or not, and just don't sell anything, but you know, you could, <laughs> you could probably go about it a better way in that case. You know, it's uh, funny, like the, oh. the journey has been really, it's been really interesting, right? So I, this is, this is my second startup. Um, but even at signal sciences, I had joined a little, you know, I was employee 106. So it wasn't like early, early, like I, like I am at Impart. And most for most of my career, building product has been like a very iterative process where you usually have something you're starting with and then you get to like, okay, I'm going to get, and then you have an idea. It's like, okay, I'm going to get to this idea and you get to that, that idea gradually. It's like maybe a quarter goes by, you're like 25% of the way to work to your idea. Then another quarter goes by, you're 50%, right? And maybe there's some variation in the time, but generally you kind of expect this gradual like, okay, I'm almost there, I'm getting there, et cetera. I think the experience at Impart has been like zero to one. Like you, you sometimes hear that idea of like zero to one for early stage companies, but the zero to one is like uh, happened so fast for us that I, I wasn't really ready. Like I was expecting kind of a similar thing where it would be, okay, we are just getting started. We're not going to have, you know, anything. Then we're going to have 25% of something. Then we're going to have 50, right? But it just kind of went from 0% to like 100%. <laughs> and it was just like, it took me by, and all of my co-founders by surprise to just how, how like quickly that happened. And it really required us to like, kind of take a look in the mirror and be like, oh, actually we have like a complete product that's really, that's, that's really good. And it's not like we ever expected it to not be good, but it just was a lot better than we thought it would be faster than we thought it would be. And that was really exciting. Yeah. Well, that's a good problem to have. Oh yeah, it is a good problem to have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I do know how you mean about quick iterations. Like, cause as you were saying quarter after quarter, I was like, man, if I said that to my investors, I think maybe it would not be happy because yeah. like you said, I mean, in, in, in the matter of like, I don't know, four months. Uh, yeah. yeah, we've gone off and uh, yeah, we started with an idea and then like whew, totally skyrocketed yeah. off into all these different things. And it becomes like a very, 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 and basically, you know, a little bit over a quarter. It's yeah, completely tuned in based off of people's feedback and what they really need and all that. And it doesn't look like what we've thought it was going to look like. Right. Um, and yeah. that's why I say it's kind of funny because you, you, you have so, you have so much that you have to take into account feedback wise. And that's also, by the way, this is uh, something I, I have like, you know, a genuinely a curiosity and it's really difficult to, to determine which, um, which feedback to take in and appreciate and potentially yeah. act on. And then others that you just have to kind of throw away. Some instances it's easy where maybe like, um, all right, you need the, only you need this very like, engineering cycle or intensive thing. Um, and it doesn't really like feed into our overall vision. And some, some cases are easy, but some cases are more maybe nuanced. And I'm curious how you uh, navigate and think about those situations yeah. when you come across them. Yeah, no, it's, it's kind of a classic product management problem. Um, and it's interesting. I, I think the, because you don't want to throw the baby away with the bathwater, right? Because some, because usually within a really esoteric feature request from a customer that they'll probably be the only ones to use is some nugget of value that actually everybody is going to use and everyone's going to benefit from. But sometimes that uh, can get really lost, right? When in, in some of the, the noise. So 
we, we try to do two things. The first is we really try to get crisp on what problem are we solving? Um, what we, what I found personally is like, depending on who you're talking to, like sometimes customers have really strong opinions about what they want. Right. And they'll say, you should build this thing for me. Um, and they won't really tell you why or like what problem they're solving with it. They'll just say like, Oh, if you just have this thing, then it'll make my day. And so you feel a lot of pressure as a founder to build the thing that they've asked for, but it really helps to stop and kind of like make sure you as a, you know, builder really understand what problem is being solved um, and really understand that like holistically before just like diving into like building the thing. Cause sometimes it's easy to do it. You know, if you're kind of like a geek like me, you just like, it's easy to just get things done rather than to like stop and think. Um, but I think that's actually been a really valuable tool for us because it helps us kind of like generalize what features come in into something that's like more of a problems, you know, solution type of view. Um, the other thing that we try to do is like aim small and miss small, and we'll do a lot of experiments, right? So, um, sometimes the customer will have like this really big idea and we'll just try to say, okay, like, let's try to what's the smallest possible version of that idea that we could build that might not do everything you're expecting, but like works in a really small, small niche and essentially try to test that to see if, you know, they actually use it the way they think they will or, or things like that. So, I mean, I, there's no like silver bullet to that, but those are the, the things that I've tried. Um, and sometimes they work. It's- yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a classic development. Like you said, it's a classic development problem, right? Like how yeah. do you take, how do you take customer feedback and, in you know, push that into a product when it may or may not actually benefit the product or, uh, you know, you just don't have the cycles to actually handle it, right? Like it, it's a, it's a staffing problem on top and a money problem on top of a functional problem. Right. So trying yeah. to combine that all together can become a difficult thing. And I, I mean, we see the same thing on, from a security perspective as well. Like, okay, how do we implement this with the limited budget, with the limited funds? Um, yeah. It's just a classic system development problem. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So it have, yeah. So that funnel is interesting to me as well, right? Like, you know, how it is that you're, you're, you're making those decisions. Um, can you talk a little bit more about like the, the, like the small, yeah, like the, the small um, projects that you're, that you're implementing and how yeah. you're, how you go about like prioritizing those. Is it based on just like you're hearing this from multiple customers, larger customers, like who has the most impact there? Yeah. Yeah. I think there's, this is actually where, like, I'm glad I spent most of my career in product uh, uh-huh. management because like, but just over the years, I've developed all of these, like, you know, tools and techniques yeah. to help kind of like, I, I, I think that's why we're interested because we, <laughs> we have none of this, right? Like, Taking notes. So, <laughs> like yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, let me just interest. start with empathizing for the, the, like, you know, what engineers and CTOs and, you know, builders feel who maybe don't have that kind of product experience is like, you know, your biggest customer who's paying you the most money, you know, asks you for this thing. Like you feel, you, you're kind of, you feel a huge pressure to give them what they want, even if it's something that you, you know, will never help anybody else. And then on the other hand, usually it's like the small customers, like a few small customers who aren't paying you very much <laughs> that'll ask for something that's like, different right and and so if you kind of do the math of like if you do like a really simplistic thing of just like which is bringing in more revenue which is what a lot of like i think new you know people new to this kind of start to do then you invariably end up like becoming really dependent on your large your largest customers and you're almost you're almost like a bespoke development shop for them which isn't necessarily a bad thing but it might not align with you know the type of business you're trying to build um so typically like the 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 equation that i try to use is just like what's the business value divided by like the level of effort right and then you and there's different ways to do estimations and stuff but um there's techniques some people use like uh, t-shirt sizes you might have heard of that like is this extra large or extra extra large right 
um, for the level of effort. And then business value is kind of more subjective, right? You can kind of use like different like scoring systems and so forth, but as effectively the, the thing you want to try what, what that type of equation optimizes for is like speed, right? Just you, you end up prioritizing things that you can get done quickly that deliver the most value at the time. Yep. Um, imagine kind of like, I've always seen this chart of like a, like a ladder moving up really fast versus like, or like a staircase with lots of tiny steps versus like a really, really long, <laughs> like flat area. And then a, like a big jump. So that's how, that's how I've tended to do it. Um, but it's also hard at the early stage too, because you yeah. know, you're, you're not always in a position where you have thousands of customers giving yeah. you conflicting advice. Sometimes you haven't met those customers yet. And so it becomes a little bit more like, yeah, you might not be able to, to use those types it, of techniques. I mean, oh, it makes it, it makes, makes, oh, go yeah. ahead. No, it makes me wonder how we like ever develop software back in like the waterfall days, <laughs> as opposed to agile, like the, the idea of failing quickly and right. Like really yeah. knowing, because, you know, I think back to it, it's, it becomes more impressive when you think back to the old IBM days in the sixties and seventies <laughs> that they were actually able to get anything out that was, uh, yeah, that was useful to people. Right. Because they would, I mean, it would be a year long project, a couple of years, and then they'd turn around and give it to people and everybody was happy. I'm like, what? no one's happy if we do that now. <laughs> and then they would never use it. And then yeah. they'd have to upgrade. <laughs> to the exactly. Right. Yeah. 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 So sorry, Ken, what yeah. were you going to say? <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Just about the whole like long, empty space and then a jump. I, I like one, since you said it, you had mentioned it's like difficult for early stage startups, more so because you know, folks don't really necessarily have a bunch of design partners or people they can solicit feedback from. But also one thing too is like sometimes, especially really early stage, there's a lot of R&D that goes on and that can create that. Like, yeah. And that's really a frustrating balance to make is like, because you will, you go with like no commits for a week or two or whatever, you know, at least not yeah. like, uh, you know, pushing to production or whatever, because it's like it's R&D. Meanwhile, there maybe are other little chunks, tasks, somebody else is, is handling whatever. But o- overall, it, it kind of, yes, I I experienced that. I, I I don't love it. And it's really hard in the early stages for also this additional reason. But one question yeah. I had too was, you know, from a, from with your career and from a product perspective, what are the unique challenges that AppSec has presented to you? You know, I mean, one that I, yeah. I'll just throw out an example, tech stacks, different tech stacks present wildly different issues, like as an example. And so for me, yeah. that's one challenge. What are the challenges you face, you know, that are specific to the uh, AppSec world? Yeah, I think that tech stack one is a bit of a callback to giving like CTOs and engineers choice about like what tech to use and decoupling that from from security. I think that's that's a huge pain point. Um, I think I think one of the things that is the like most salient pain point around AppSec um that I, you know the customers we work with is just the kind of like tech stacks there's different levels of like people have different choices some people maybe use the newest stuff like kubernetes other people are still using like windows like 32 <laughs> or like 95 um and i think it's similar with security maturity <clears throat> right mm-hmm. where like we have some customers that we work with who have a really small security team or maybe not no security team. Right. Uh, but they're really advanced on all of the technology stuff and they care about security. They're kind of like the ideal company to adopt like secure coding practices. Cause everybody wants to do the right thing, but then they don't have like much knowledge about like, what does good look like? Right. Um, and I, I think that there's just this, I think this bent in application security where, Good is often defined as like, buy this thing I'm selling you. <laughs> yeah. It's not defined as like, oh, this is kind of like 
a framework or a model that you should be using. This is how you can kind of like coming alongside, you know, engineers and, and who are just getting started um, and like helping them understand, like, how am I doing right now? Am I doing good? Am I behind my, my peers or am I ahead of them? Right. I don't have any like really, really clear guidance. So I think there's customers like that. And then there's on the other side, you know, uh, we have some customers who are just like on the complete other side, like they're totally dialed in. They have a huge security team and actually they kind of behave more like the experts. Like they already know what, what they need and what they want and where their problems are and how they have like a very strong point of view on how to improve that. Um, so I think building like solutions that kind of keep both of those folks happy is, is, um, is a challenge. And it also is kind of like the problem you mentioned with like prioritizing large companies over small companies. Right. Cause like, yeah. I think if you look at like the 99% of like most companies, like they probably would say like, we're not security experts. We just want to like do the best that we can. Right. And, mm-hmm. but I think most of the companies out there kind of target that 1%, like with the big budgets and the big teams. Right. So as a result, like, there's not a lot of things like recommendations or guidance or advice, like inside products and tools that tell people like, Oh, this is how you're doing. This is how you can help like share this report with, you know, with your, your board or your boss, right. And can, or with an auditor, like those, those types of things I think are just like the experience things that are missing. Um, and I think it's just due to the actually very probably related to kind of the problem that we've just been describing around like, you know, optimizing feature requests and things like that. Focus. Yeah. 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 Oh man. That's so, so on point with people running different types of shops and no, not knowing actually Seth, you know, like we, we, the last week, you know, and I, because of travel, uh, I couldn't engage too much in a bunch of other stuff going on uh, with the conversation in Slack. I saw you did, but you know, there was a lot of talk around like, Hey, AppSec doesn't really standardize, you know, uh, what, what skill sets you should have, or, you know, I think it started off with maybe something about certificates and then it just kind of bled off from there. It sounded like into like just a general lack of standardization. I think it's true for like how you're securing your software. It's not necessarily equal in all places uh, or not even so, so much that is like how, how far behind are we or how far ahead are we? Are we doing things within the right scope of how you're supposed to be doing things? And, there just is a lot, huge lack of standardization. And when you said that, it just sort of like feeds into that, that continuing theme, even though we have OWASP, you know, it, it's very much a like, it's volunteers, right? It's like, uh, yeah. and it's a smattering of different projects in different directions based off what people think is important at that time, you know, to, to talk about. And even still, it's like, again, it's, it's free, free info people are putting out. Um, yeah, it feels so like maybe it may vary. Yeah. To the point you were making, Seth, like this is where like basically compliance frameworks and regulations are a bit of the forcing function <clears throat> that that kind of like it's like <clears throat> this the de facto standard, but it's also not very well defined, right? Like PCI is a good example where like what's the standard? It's like, do you have a secure code or do you have a WAF? Like, yeah. <laughs> like it's pretty broad. Like most people yeah. <laughs> and, and like, yeah, I have a WAF, but it's like turned off. Like, does that yeah. count? And it does. Right. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. I bought it. Yeah. Actually, yeah. Uh, James, James had told me that, I don't know if hopefully I'm allowed to say this, that in the early days, uh, they were finding that, uh, customers, you know, when, when signal science was trying to do a bake off, it was kind of weird. Cause he kept going in there and they're like, no, yeah, yeah, we have a WAF. And they're like, uh, you know, like, how is it implemented? They're like, Oh, it's not, no, no, no we bought it. It's it's, it, we, it was totally, it put us into a compliance, like, it's okay, good. but no, it's doing nothing. It's just sitting yeah. there. He's like, oh, this is going to be it's easy. just routing off. traffic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So hopefully I was well, okay to say I, that. I, I, I honestly, I can't tell you the number of times I go into like AWS and you look at like the WAF rules that are set up and run or whatever it is. And it's basically just like, um, you know, they might have like one country rule turned on. Right. And that's it. Right. They're not doing anything else, but that it's so they can, yeah. PCI check the box yeah. or, you know, whichever reg came in. That's no, the, yeah. the same is true in API security too. It's, it's just oh, I'm sure, yeah. not as formal, like, like PCI checkbox. Like, yeah. Like we've, we've had a number of, 
uh, folks come to us and just say like, oh, okay. Yeah, we have API security. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Like, what's it doing for you? Like, is it, is it like, what, is it running in production? Are you, are you blocking anything? Are you stopping anything? Oh, like, no, 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 we're, we're too scared. We just basically have it sending us alerts. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just like, oh. Hey, if they're actually sending the alerts somewhere, I'm like (laughs) shocked. I'm going to be honest. Most of the time they're in the the WAF dashboard or, you know, Cloudwatch or whatever. Right. But they don't actually go anywhere. Right. It's uh, yeah. Yeah. And if they actually follow up on those alerts, that's another layer of bonus. (laughs) You know, what would be funny. Like I see a lot of stats about like there's X number of APIs in the world right now. Right. And every year Mm -hmm. it goes up. It would be funny if there was like, or same thing with CVEs and vulnerabilities. It would be funny to get that metric for alerts, like number of security alerts. <laughs> alerts, yes. I'd watch. <laughs> it's just like right, triple digits over year, year over year. Yeah. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Right? <laughs> no, like I, not, that's yeah. my that's that's my question. Right? Wait, we need Evan back on. We can talk more about like you know consuming that into a. Yeah. I feel like you are what well, you measure, right? Yeah. I have some yes. thoughts on how to handle that, but that's we'll talk, again in a month. Talk, talk again in a month when I can show everyone. It, it reminds me of that, like the AI that is prompted to like, I forget what the prompt is, but like it just ends up manufacturing typewriters and like overrunning the world with typewriters because like someone told it to like, I don't know, create a lot of words. Or yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That's definitely the case. Cool. Well, uh, so along those lines, like from an API security perspective, right? We've, so we've, you know, we've talked a little bit about in part, like what you've come up with, what you're doing there. I did see your blog post on like the OWASP API top 10. Um, I wanted to go into that a little bit, like since that's, you know, fairly new, right? Like the recent list from 2023, um, like, what are your feelings on having a top 10 specifically for APIs? And then, like, you know, what do you think about the latest iteration? Yeah, no, it's it's interesting. Um, when the list first came out, I like in 2019, I was still mm-hmm. at Signal Sciences. And I didn't actually take it that seriously in terms of, oh, these are API-specific vulnerabilities. Mm-hmm. I looked at it more like, oh, these are essentially things we can we can solve with a WAF, right? <laughs> that maybe just have like some slight twist on it. Like there, there's an example of like injection attacks, right? Which is the problem that a WAF was designed to solve. So I looked at it and thought, well, we can, like, why is that a specific thing for APIs? That's that's an attack that is relevant for anything, right? Yeah. Um, but I think what's happened, but I think what's happened is API security has really matured since then, right? In the, the last four years, there's been a lot of new companies, right? A lot of different approaches. Um, I think like the the terms of like there just seems to be more of a general understanding like of what is API security, um, and I think that's reflected in the new 2023 lists. Um, and the idea is, um, yeah, I, I think all of the, the, the new list actually just seems a a bit more aligned to like the conversations that I have when I talk to like CISOs, like generally, I think generally like, like two years ago conversation, like the conversation, like, well, API security, it's like API discovery, which is the act of like finding all your APIs and we're not sure what else that's what, yeah. you know, like there, there was no, like, like it wasn't, I wasn't hearing like from customers, you need to do X, Y, and Z. Uh, this is the things I'm looking for an API security solution. I think at this point now in 2023, what we're hearing is like, okay, API security is kind of like two sides. It's either like what's going on in runtime, right. Um, or what's going on in a shift kind of shift left SLDC testing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that the new list is, you can kind of like look down and it's really easy to kind of def- determine which vulnerability you can address best with, with each type of technique. Yeah. Um, so I, th- I think it's good. I think it's good for the industry to just kind of share that overall, um, like knowledge with everyone. 
And I think it's, it's good. It's like a good rallying cry for the industry to get like at least a common definition so that at least for CISO, I, I can't imagine like the job of a CISO is hard enough. And then when you have like hundreds of vendors telling you about the problems that you have, right. That aren't really standardized and they're kind of like duplicated or overloaded and mean different things. Um, that's really challenging, but I think having a sort of standardized, Oh, there's a OWASP API top 10. It just was updated. It's very relevant. Like we cover all of those things, right. Or we cover like, or someone else covers like one through five, someone else covers six through 10, right. It just makes it a little bit easier for someone to make a decision. So I think yep. that's, that's all a good thing. Yeah. From an awareness, awareness perspective, like that, that is the one thing from an OWASP or like when we reference the OWASP top 10 that I'd like, I'm happy that there is kind of that base level discussion that we have now. Um, I know initially when the OWASP, like the API top 10 came out, I think I had a, a similar reaction to it that you did. Right. I'm like, really? Right. It's, it's basically just a repeat of the OWASP, you know, the web application risk top 10, with maybe a little bit of a different classification, but the updated list definitely does feel more focused on, okay, this is a specific API problem with the function, the data, like different ways that you can protect against it as opposed to, hey, just you know, do what you were doing in the web, but just do it against an API, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, it's good to have your, uh, you know, your perspective there. Um, since well yeah you're you're dealing it with it on a daily basis right like i definitely see apis and we've we started to use it more from a consulting perspective as far as like reference material where mm -hmm. you know 2019 i don't think we ever really used that list right uh, it was just mm -hmm. like eh, just go to the normal loss top 10 and we'll call it good <laughs> but now but now there mm -hmm. are more specifics there which is great for us right uh, it's yeah. great for the industry to have that discussion so, yeah totally um cool uh, I, and I, I slipped that in there. I, we do want to be cognizant of your time, Brian. I know we've been talking for an hour. I, I'm pretty sure we could talk for another hour or two on, <laughs> you know, all these different topics. But we, you know, we want to make sure that we're being respectful because um, we appreciate you coming on, giving us your background, letting us, you know, pick your brain on, you know, startup life and product management. And um, but before we wrap things up. Uh, is there anything else that you would like to highlight, um, you know, from an API security perspective, anything else that's on your mind? Yeah. Um, well, it's been a pleasure. Um, thanks for having me on. Uh, the only thing I'll say is uh, for anyone who's going to be at Black Hat or DEF CON this year, we've got some, some interesting stuff planned. Uh, we have, uh, yeah. So we, we uh, I don't want to like, give away all of the secrets right now, but like, we've got some really exciting stuff. So definitely uh, you could ping me on LinkedIn, Brian Joe, or you can go to our website and essentially register interest uh, for meeting us at Black Hat. Uh, we've got some, like I said, some pretty interesting stuff planned. Um, uh, the other thing I'll just, just say is feel free to, you know, for those who are interested in API security, check us out, check out our website, uh, www.impart.security. Uh, you can find us on LinkedIn as well, Impart Security Inc., um, the, uh, social actually is the best way to keep track of all of our comings and goings. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's been a pleasure guys. I really appreciate you having me on. Yeah. It's, it's been a pleasure on. talking about it. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. We you know, always appreciate, you know, technical and having the, the full on discussion like we've had today. Um, yeah. So it sounds like people can, can see you at DEF CON and Black Hat. You'll be out there. Um, yeah. yeah, I think I might drop by your happy hour also. Uh, you so. should, you should. So come to the happy <laughs> hour. Yeah, we'll have, every, you know, there's actually going to be quite a few guests there, right? I know oh, Jerry will be there. There's a couple others. Um, so it'll be a good time. August 10th, 5 p.m. Las Vegas time. Because apparently when I did it in Slack, I said Eastern time. Because yeah. now I'm officially brain. old, Seth. <laughs> yeah. now Can old you imagine Las Vegas? In. Someone in Las Vegas I know, right? on Eastern time. <laughs> Eastern time. Oh, it's been showing up. I got an invite. <laughs> I got an invite yesterday for uh, something at like 9.30 in the morning because it was on East. It was sent for Eastern time. And I think that they mean clearly yeah. not 9.30 in the morning in Vegas after on a Friday. Yeah. But anyways, yeah, time zones. Yeah. Time zones. Yeah. They're hard. Time zones they are hard. They remain difficult. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
Yes, exactly. Sweet. <laughs> All right. Well, I uh, appreciate the conversation today. Thanks again to Redpoint and Dry Run for sponsoring the Absolute AppSec Happy Hour in Vegas. Um, thanks to Redpoint for sponsoring this episode. And uh, yeah, thanks to Impart Security and Brian for coming on. Uh, we'll pleasure. catch everybody online. Please join Slack if you have not. Um, and we'll keep the conversation going there. So. All right. Anything else, again, Brian, before we call it? Nope. All Thanks right. for having me on. This is great. Thanks, everybody. Do it again soon. Yep. Thank you. <laughs>